I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you were sad and you were struggling with something. Someone came up and quoted scripture to you. And it just made you feel, it moved you so much that you wanted to grab them and shake them really hard and then slap them in the face. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but I have. And it's usually at funerals and it's usually on behalf of those who are sad because there's always one who has Romans 8.28 locked and loaded. Always one person who's willing to, who, who wants to just come up and, and comfort the bereaved. Now we're kind of a goofy society in that we think that the goal in life is to have the right thing to say. Like have you ever been driving away from someone who was kind of not very nice to you and then you were driving and maybe like five minutes later you thought, oh, I should have said this. You should rephrase that and say, oh, I'm glad I was quiet. Because having the right thing to say isn't the best thing. Knowing when to say things and when not to say things is true wisdom. And so Romans 8.28 is in the Bible. It's a beautiful passage. But often the times that it's quoted, it's, it's not in a very good situation. Uh, the, the verse is, uh, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, what happens often is someone has, someone has died and you are at the, um, the visitation, which is just the world's saddest um, reception line, right? You just, everyone comes up and tells you how sad they are and you, it, it's an exhausting experience usually for those who are bereaved. But they're, they're, in, they're in, their, um, in, the, in there and they're talking to people and people are coming up and saying wonderful things. I loved your father. I loved your grandfather. They were so special to me. They were the funniest. They were the sweetest. They were the kindest. They taught me so much. Whatever. And then there's always one who will shake your hand and say, you know, God works everything for good. And you say, because you're nice, yes, he does. But you want to say, like, I don't think there's going to come a time in my life where I think, you know what, turns out, it was a pretty good thing Pop-Pop died. Right, like, that was pretty good. You know, at first I was really sad, but now that we've kind of gotten some distance away from it, I thought, wow, that's fantastic. Of course you're never going to say that. But like this sort of instance, like, well, this will, you'll see, this will turn out well. You'll see, it'll happen. One day you'll look back on this and we'll all laugh. No. What do you mean? What do you mean he's going to work things like God wanted this? God wanted, and I mean, and we're using examples of of just regular, like, People get older and they die. Those are regular deaths. These like tragic events that you don't, don't ever say that at a funeral. Oh, this was a regular death. But the, we're using like normal. There are some horrific tragedies 
walk up to the people in Nice and say, oh, well, God works all things together for good. That's nonsense. So you're quoting the Bible, but you're misquoting the Bible. You're not actually saying what the Bible says. We do this a lot. Let's look at the whole context. Not the whole context. The whole context of Romans 8.28 is Romans 1.1 through 8.27. Romans works like that. But let's back up a bit and get a running start at Romans 8.28. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So... These people, the Roman citizens that Paul is writing, are suffering. And let me tell you about their suffering just for a second. Um, if you become a Christian at the time of the Ro- uh, that Romans was written, if you become a Christian, it often means that you can no longer buy and sell goods in the marketplace. It often means that like your business will go under... And it means that you can have no life with your old, no, your, your old acquaintances will abandon you. And, even more, we have people who are dying because they have become Christians. So, I consider that our present suffering, so the suffering, that uh, our persecution, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So basically, creation's not doing the thing that it's supposed to be doing. This isn't garden creation, right? This is creation as in there's, uh, there's volcanoes, there's uh, hurricanes, there's tornadoes, there's famine, there's drought, there's awful things happening. And he's saying, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, and we can feel creation groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The redemption of our bodies. He's here talking about resurrection. Someday we will die, but then someday we will no longer be dead. Here he's talking about resurrection. The redemption of of our bodies, and we are longing for that. Deep down in our core, longing for that. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't know what that felt like. Because church was sort of a thing we did. We sat in the pews, we faced the front, we sang songs, we um, tried not to laugh because of, you know, sin. And we had, we had like, we had all, we had a certain way of doing things, And we did those things a certain way, and then we went home. And I was so excited about going home, because I got to play basketball, and I got to wear shorts. Things you couldn't do at church, I was told. Yeah. So we had 
we had this, um, you still can't play basketball in here, is what I was thinking. Y'all don't know what it's like up here. I heckle myself the whole time. It's not fun. So, <laughs> we have, like, we, we had, like, church, and we did church, and then we had life, and we did life. And eternal life wasn't real life, it was eternal church. And eternal church, while I said that it sounded awesome, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't think, I didn't mean it. Like sitting there, they was well, we're going to sit and we're going to praise God forever. You know, like we do at church for an hour and it's almost, it's really exhausting. We're going to do that forever. Oh, that sounds great. I would say to my Bible class teacher. But, Whenever we're talking about the redemption of our bodies, when we're talking about redemption of creation, when we're saying things like, there will be no more tears, there will be no more hunger, there will be no more death, when we say there will be no more trucks running into crowds of people, there will be no murder, there will be no racism, there will be no obstruction to, to, to justice in this world. When we look at the world and all the brokenness, the brokenness that other people cause, which is often our, um, what we look at the most, but often the brokenness that we cause, the pain that we cause in this world, the times that you've said something that you wish you wouldn't have said, and you've hurt a relationship because you said it, that won't happen when the world is redeemed. There is a longing in your bones for redemption. There is a longing in your heart for new creation. There is a longing in you for resurrection. There is a hope. There is a hope in you. And while it may not be for an eternal worship service, there is, an, there is a hope. This world is broken. And God promises He will come redeem us. He will come resurrect us and that longing in your bones that you can't even put into words. And oftentimes when we try to put it into words, we just, we do more harm than good. We have this longing and he says, we, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. I'm, I'd be willing to guess over the past couple months um, many of us have had that groaning inwardly. Where we look and we just say, I don't, I know I'm a part of the problem. I know, I know I'm a part of the problem. But the problem is just too big for me to think that I can be a part of the solution. We groan inwardly. We wait eagerly for our adoptions to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. But who hopes for what they have already, already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So he's talking about a broken world and a redemption that is to come. Like someday God is going to set things right. Someday, God is going to make things new. And he said, we have a hope and we wait for it patiently. 
In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. By the power of the Spirit of God, when you don't know what to pray for, pray anyway. Just sit in your own silence and your own sadness and your own remorse and the Spirit of God will handle it. Through wordless groans we pray. And He who searches our hearts. This is an odd name for God that's not actually found a whole lot. Odd reference. The searcher of hearts. God who searches, knows the frustration, the sadness that you feel, the anger that you feel. God even knows those, those bad feelings that still grieve us, like entitlement. He knows what you're feeling. And He knows what you're feeling better than you know what you're feeling. And He searches your heart. And he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. We have a large hope. We have a big hope that God will redeem us, that God will resurrect us, that God will make things new. And when we simplify this verse down to, well, yeah, everything will turn out in the end. Like, it'll get better. Prom- I promise you, it'll get better. You know, it probably won't. Like it, 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 no one that I've heard has the solution. And that stinks, because I don't have the solution. When people take tragedy and use it to further their own power, or when people take brokenness and use it for their own... We are are living in a place that doesn't have answers for some of this stuff. And, to be frank, you you can't even just say, hey guys, Jesus, and get people to stop hurting each other, because people have hurt each other in Jesus' name too. That's happened. So what, the, what our hope is, is not some sort of give me just a, a magical thing to do and it'll fix it. What our hope is, is this big hope of when I am die, that's not, that's not the end. Death has no rule over me. I will overcome death like Jesus overcame death because Jesus overcame death. So when Paul says, hey, all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. When God says, or when Paul says all things work together for good, He's not saying you'll look back on this and laugh. 
He's actually saying the opposite. He's actually acknowledging we have problems that make us groan and we don't have words for them, but we have hope. And so the message, if you want to say the right thing um, at a visitation, if you want to say the right thing at a funeral, well, first, wait until you're asked to say the right thing. Don't just drop in like the knowledge swat. Thank you. I like that term too. I have a a, uh, a friend of mine uh, who did her wedding when she was in her mid seventies. Uh, that was that was fun, but I. Uh, about two years before that, I did the funeral of her daughter. Her daughter was born with a rare illness that caused her to live a life in pain, live a life of mental deficiencies um, and physical deficiencies. That she, she stayed at home her whole life and had to be cared for her whole life. And the doctor said um, she wouldn't live 12, 15 years. If that. We watched her die at the age of 41. And when she finally died, I was actually in at my parents' house. Um, spent the day prior with her and, and then traveled up and was with my parents. And I get a call that she had died. And I call Judy and said, and, and just... Offered my condolences, said we're praying for you. Judy said, I want you to do the funeral. And it was an amazing funeral, it really was. Uh, it was in the small, Teague Church of Christ was about half the size of this auditorium, pews, um, and just that one entrance in the back. And uh, Julie, Judy's daughter, Julie loved. Cats and Mamma Mia more than anything in the world. So halfway through the funeral, we had, this was, this was what Julie wanted, we had a slideshow of different cats accompanied by some ABBA. And so what we, what we had going on, I, I was sitting on the front pew just hoping someone who didn't know what was going on walked in off the street. They're like, well, what's this church about? <laughs> I, was, I was hoping that would happen. But Julie loved it. But anyway, Judy calls me and she says, I want, I want you to do the, I want you to talk about Julie. More than anything, I want you to just make some sense of this. I've got nothing. You know, in the end, you talk about things like, God, did, God mourns this too. God grieves Julie with us. God loves Julie and did not want this for 
for Julie. This wasn't a reason, like there wasn't reasons. And you have, you have to land in those moments on the hope of resurrection. You can't, you can't say, well, you know, God will use this to do something fantastic. I don't want God to use a child's death for, to do something fantastic. I want, I want God to redeem it. And instead of saying, I'm going to come down and fix all the cancer, I'm going to fix all the heart problems, I'm going to fix all the diseases and the, the, the mental illnesses, I'm going to fix all of that. God fixed where it all went. Where it all led is to death. So when we say God does good things, when God works things together for good, we're not talking about just fixing life. We're talking about reclaiming life. We're not saying he's going, he's going to make it all line up here or there. We're saying he's going to take those who have died and make them not dead. That God, not only, and, and listen, when we pray for cancer, like someone has cancer and we get down on our knees and we pray for cancer, sometimes that cancer goes away. Sometimes it doesn't. We aren't promised to be healed of cancer. We aren't promised to be healed of diabetes or heart disease. We are promised resurrection. We are promised no death. We are promised new creation. We are promised redemption. And when we look into the, in, to lifeless bodies and say, well, God, you know, God will, will work, what, we're, what we mean, and it can be a powerful thing, is we mean God's not done with this. I, this kid's a comeback kid. He's going to die and then he'll live. I believe in resurrection more strongly than I believe in anything else. Not because God is powerful, but because God keeps his promise and is powerful. And that's a promise God made to us that death will not be the end. God does work all things together for good, but that good is resurrection. That good is new life. And it may take some patience. But we will see them again. I know that doesn't always comfort. When we are resurrected, we find the Bible talks about running and not growing weary, walking and not growing faint. I once once had a guy uh, add to that and say, I would just like to bend over without getting dizzy. I'm like, well, that's a start, right? The Bible talks about new life, new like new energy. I can't wait to run and not grow weary. I mean, we're not ever going to be able to talk with 
with Garrett in, in, in the next life. I mean, you're just going to be running, right? You're just not growing weary. Oh, there she goes. See ya. <laughs> Love you. We're going to, that, we have a hope. And it's not a hope that where we're lifeless souls just sort of flickering and praising God and not knowing each other. I will see you. And we will celebrate together. I will know you. We will celebrate together. I don't know how it all works. In the honest, like, to be honest, if you come to me and say, well, how exactly, what's the detail? I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. I know, I know that, that we will conquer death. I know that. Death has lost feels like it has won right now. And what this verse is saying is death has lost. Uh, even though it feels like it has won, death has lost. In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have hope. Death has lost. It loses the war. It has lost. So if you want to be united with the one who conquered death, if you want to have hope in the name of Jesus... If you, if you want to give your life to that cause, to that king, to the one who beat death, and through whom we have hope, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.